Hello, everyone. It's Lucas Mangum. Welcome to Make Your Own Damn Podcast, a podcast where we talk about the glory days of trauma entertainment. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jeff Burke. How's it going, Jeff? Going good. How about you, Lucas? Uh, pretty good, man. It's uh, it's actually my birthday today. So, Holy uh, shit, it is. Yes, yes, I turned 37, um, and uh, yeah, it's been a good day so far. I got some... Oh, happy birthday! Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I got some uh, some Tex-Mex, and uh, yeah, and it's been nice so far. I might might be seeing uh, our good friend uh, Shane McKenzie later. Oh, sweet. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about Cannibal the Musical, Um as we established last episode, that is uh, that is going to be this week's episode. Um, yes, yeah, a 1993 film uh, directed by Trey Parker, and I guess co-written by Parker and Matt Stone. Uh, both of those names you should recognize because they are the creators of South Park. And uh, this was their first film ever. The very first thing. In fact, technically, this is a student film in a very literal sense that they made it while university students in Colorado. Yes. So uh, funny thing about that is uh, the father of um, I'm going to call the character Squeak because that's his name in basketball. But I actually forget what his name is in this. Um, It's um, but uh, the father of that character is Stan Brackage, who was a, um, yeah, a, an experimental filmmaker who was active for like, I guess like the entire last half of the 21st, of the 20th century, um, basically known for making, um, weird experimental short films. And he also taught, uh, at the, uh, university, university of Colorado, um, where Trey and Matt went and, and met, I believe as well. Um, and uh, yeah, so he's got a little cameo in this film. So that's a fun bit of uh, film history trivia if you're a if you're into um, experimental film at all. My... George Noon is the name of the Squeak character. Okay, all right, cool. That's that's the name of the character he plays, and I knew who you were talking about. And I'm like trying. I was just looking up here, like what is his name in the movie? Yeah, George Noon is the name of his character. George Noon. Okay. Okay, so before we get too deep into this, like, what's your history with Trey Parker and Matt Stone? Well, um, you know, uh, being a child uh, of the of the '90s, I of course grew up on South Park, you know, or at least spent a significant amount of my teens watching South Park. Um, I think it was almost impossible to avoid uh, South Park um, from that like '97 to 2001 kind of period. Um, and so I, uh, I watched. I think the first episode I saw was uh, the deadly Mexican staring frog episode. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, I've got to be honest, that wasn't this not one of my favorite episodes. And like when I saw it, I was like, this is what all the other kids are talking about, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, yeah, of course I grew to love it. And um, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it started with South Park, as I imagine it probably did with you. Um, Oh, that's the thing. Uh, actually, kind of for me, I remember when South Park started airing and that whole cultural phenomenon around it. Yeah. And I watched one episode from the first season, and this was when I was a little kid, and I hated it. Because mm-hmm. for a lot of people who may not realize, if you're not like South Park super fans or that, 
the first season of the show is very, very different from the rest of the series. Yeah. It's just not as smart. It literally yeah. is just kids cursing and saying offensive things, and that's literally the entire humor to it. Right. And I kind of avoided South Park. I did see, though, Campbell the Musical while I was in high school and absolutely loved it. I yeah. saw Orgasmo and loved it. I saw Basketball and loved it. So I was always like of the opinion of like, oh, I like their movies. I don't really like their show. And when I was in college, um, when I was like a freshman and a sophomore in college, at some point, so many people would be to me like, oh, I bet you, I bet you like South Park a lot. I'm like, no, no, I don't really. And so many people would be like, wow, that really surprises me. South Park seems like you would love it. And it happened so much that I'm like, all right, I'm going to give the show another chance. And I went to watch whatever the current season was. And I'm not really sure at that point. It was probably somewhere around season, somewhere between like six and eight would have been yeah. like when I was in college. And um, it blew my fucking mind because now it was clever. It was social commentary. It was absurdist, surrealist humor. Like yeah. it, it was everything I loved. And I was like, oh. The reason everyone's always asking me if I'm a South Park fan is because South Park's like a perfect TV show for me. Definitely. And I still watch every new episode that come out. I consider myself a Matt Stone and Trey Parker super fan. I've even seen the Book of Mormon live. Which, I have too. I, which, oh yeah, it wasn't that phenomenal. I think it's one of like, I mean, and this is going to sound hyperbolic. I assure you it is not. I think it's one of the best like, stories i've ever seen like in in terms of uh because like you think it's a satire on religion and and in, in a lot of ways it is but it's also about the power of storytelling yeah. and i don't know man it just really resonated with me i i absolutely adored it i, I think it's like one of the best live shows of anything i've ever seen like yeah. it blew my mind how good book of mormon was yeah but yeah so uh i guess then we are both we're both well versed in the Matt Stone and Trey Parker lore, then. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And it is incredible how much of it is already apparent in Cannibal the Musical. It's incredible. Like you can see all of it there. Um, like I, I even like I was taking some notes, like uh, just like some stuff that immediately jumped off off the off the screen for me as being just so South Park is uh. Yeah, I mean, I'll come out right out the gates with it. Uh, the Japanese Indians. Oh, yes. Indians. Yes. <laughs> and it's never remotely explained. It's sort of addressed because all the characters are speaking Japanese. Yes. And, and, the, the, and the traveling characters do communicate with them via Japanese. Yes. They have Japanese flags on their teepees. Yes. That is so <laughs> bizarre. And... I love, yeah, very, very funny. Yeah, um, and uh, gosh, uh, some of the other stuff that I that I thought was really um, South Parky was the uh, the title card, um, the one that says this was originally shown in 1954, but it was upstaged by Oklahoma, and we edited out all the violence, which is not true at all. Um, oh but, uh, my God, you're right. They do open it with a title card that's a humorous title card, which is what South Park later. Yeah, ended up doing of op- opening with a humorous title card before yes, every like episode. with the I believe the South Park one is something like these aren't real celebrities. Oh, They're yeah, imitated all the voices or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the character of Humphrey is kind of an amalgamation of South Park characters. 
Uh, that's Matt Stone's character. Matt Stone's character, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, yeah, he's even wearing, like, the hat that Kyle wears. And, the exact same, and they do the exact same joke reveal in the movie of he pulls off his hat and he has a giant red afro, yes, which is that's true. a recurring joke in South Park. Yep. Um, and then, uh, you know, the um, I wanted to say in the snowman song, there's a there's a brief, almost semi liminal moment where the snowman's face is an alien face, like a gray alien face. And that just struck me as a South Park joke for some reason, or it felt very South Park-esque, I guess. Well, that was a long-running joke in the first season of South Park, and I don't know how much later it continued, but I know there's one season, or maybe it's multiple seasons, where there is a gray alien visible in the background in every episode of, of, I think it's the first season. I could be wrong on that. Maybe that's like, I don't know, like the infancy of that idea. Which is fun. Um, yeah, those are the things that jumped out at me. I mean, I guess another obvious one is uh, when they go to get supplies. Is uh, you hear you hear Cartman singing in the okay. background. I was I was waiting for you to bring that up. They use the Cartman voice in Campbell the Musical, and it's the exact same voice. Like they just yeah. repurpose that funny voice they use. And I I believe it's supposed to be in Campbell the Musical. It's Matt Stone's character is supposed to be the one singing that when the Cartman voice happens and oh, he's okay. just, and he's just doing it as like to be silly that he's just using a silly voice. Yeah. But all of us now upon hearing that you're like, that's Cartman. Oh, God. So I showed this movie to a bunch of South Park fans back in college. And like my one friend, I say friend, but I don't really talk to him anymore. Um, but he's <laughs> like kind of a troll and he would just like, what during that scene, he's just like, this is such a South Park ripoff. And I kept trying to tell him that it came out before and he just wasn't having it. He was just like, it's a ripoff. And I'm just like, all right. It's the same people. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't think they, it's, that counts as a ripoff. It's this is, the same yeah, people. this is, yeah, this is one of the reasons why I'm not friends with him anymore. <laughs> he just likes to fuck with me. <laughs> and I wish I would have made note of it, but in one, I'm not sure which scene it is. So I screwed up there in noting which scene, but in another scene, you distinctly hear the Mr. Garrison voice. Oh, oh it's yeah. In, and, um, it's I want to say it's uh, in the, one of the crowd scenes. You yeah, hear Mr. Garrison's voice. I believe it's in the beginning after the the prosecutor tells the the account of what supposedly happened, and then somebody goes, "Oh, gross!" in the background. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> so, um, for the sake of people who may not have seen this movie or know anything about it, uh, I have the DVD case here in front of me. Shall I re- read the plot description? Yes, please do. Okay. Cannibal the Musical is the true story of the only person convicted of cannibalism in America, Alfred Packer. The sole survivor of an ill-fated trip to the Colorado Territory, he tells his side of the harrowing tale to news reporter Polly Pyre as he awaits his execution. And his story goes like this. While searching for gold and love in the Colorado Territory, he and his companions lost their way and resorted to unthinkable horrors, including toe-tapping songs. Parker and his five wacky mining buddies sing and dance their way into your heart and then take a bite out of it. Cannibal the Musical is Oklahoma meets blood-sucking freaks, brought to you <laughs> by the Troma Team and Trey Parker, the Roger and Hammerstein of horror. So I that's, like that. 
That's a description. That's pretty accurate. That is what the movie is. It's it, a yeah. musical based on the real life, um, real life uh, incident of Alfred Packer, which incidentally, this movie is oddly enough, extremely historically accurate. That really everything that happens in the movie. Yes. It's all done in comedic effect. That is all in real life. What Alfred Packer claims really happened. And, you know, Spoilers for this movie, like we're gonna have spoilers for all the movies in every one of these episodes. So anyone yeah. listening, get used to that. That how the movie ends with him getting saved with a state of execution because Colorado was not yet a state is literally what happened to Alfred Packer in real life. That's interesting because, like, you know, from a uh, from a storytelling standpoint, you know, um, we're both writers, so I feel like we can talk about this with a little bit of authority. Like, that's one of the parts in the film that feels very, like, Deus Ex Machina or, like, really tacked <laughs> on. Um, but that's that's funny that the reason it's there is because that's what happened. That's, re- that's honest to God, really what happened. <laughs> that he was sentenced to execution, and, um, but from the time that his crimes were committed and that he was brought to trial, Colorado be- became a state, and he was getting tried under Colorado state law. And then the, I, I believe it was the governor had to over, overturn his conviction because the crimes he was being tried for under Colorado state law, Colorado did not yet exist. And the way the United States legal code works, you can't be tried in a state if that state was not a state, which is wow. why throughout the whole movie, if you notice, they never call it Colorado. It's only ever referred to as Colorado territory. Yes. But they're trying yes. to hammer in from the very beginning into the viewers' minds that Colorado is not yet a state. Mm, that's funny. <laughs> oh man. Um, some some more like uh, trivia that all the uh, all the courthouse scenes mm-hmm. uh, take place in the actual courthouse where Alfred Packer was tried. Oh, that's fun. So that's just a little nerd thing there. Though, if you uh, Trey Parker has spoken out many times that he regrets doing that. Because all those scenes have the worst sound quality of the movie. And that was because the way the courthouse... I'm not an expert on sound design, so anyone that is and is listening to this, please forgive me. But the way the courthouse was designed, they were unable to, like, with the equipment they had, to be able to mic it properly. So it's quieter, a bit echoier. And Che Parker says about how he regrets insisting on keeping that in the actual courthouse because those scenes sound shitty and nobody outside of Colorado is going to remotely get, in fact, most people inside Colorado would not get that they're in the real courthouse. So Mm. it's a little meta joke, but it makes the movie look less professional. (laughs) That's funny. Um, Now you're a, uh, you're, I know that you're also a massive Star Trek fan as well as a South Park fan. Yes, I am. I heard, and maybe it was, and it might have actually been in the DVD commentary, but the in the beginning, after the uh, the prosecutor tells this account of what happens in the mountains, and uh, Trey goes, but that's not the way it happened. Like, that's a, uh, a Shatner, um, you know, nod, I guess. Yes, that is, that is directly from a Star Trek episode. Um, <laughs> it's the original series... It was when, I'm trying to pull up the name of the episode right now, because the name of the episode is facing me. I want to say The Measure of a Man. The Measure of the Man is the trial episode from Next Generation. The trial oh, okay. episode is a Court Martial. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, court martial, which, uh, where Kirk is getting court martialed, and the opening scene of the episode is uh, a prosecutor recounting what they believed happened, and then it cuts to Kirk, and but that's not how it happened, and then cuts to the opening <laughs> opening credits of Star Trek, and then this cuts to the opening credits of Campbell the Musical. Oh, that's beautiful. That's great. Um, I love the opening credits for this movie, like the um, the. Uh the the drawings the drawing version uh the drawings oh, of yeah. like scenes from the movie are, are are painted i guess um i don't know i just thought that isn't was a really creative way to do it a direct rip rip uh riff on um oklahoma i believe it's oklahoma the musical that opens with all the paintings and uh clips of it's... all the songs that are about to be sung it might be it's been a really really long time like i was I had to watch that in like third grade or something. <laughs> it's, I'll be yeah. honest, I've never seen Oklahoma. I'm just pretty certain I've come across somewhere in my research that it was meant to be a reference to Oklahoma. Gotcha. So if I'm getting that wrong, please excuse me and don't quote me on that one. Yeah. Um, another thing that's just like, I don't know. I just think it's cool. Like, I, I don't know where it came from or what, but the uh, the name of the production company they use, Avenging Conscious Conscience. Avenging um, Avenging Conscience, I think, is just a really cool name. I didn't even really take note of that. It's, yeah, it's like the first thing that pops up after the title card, um, with the yeah, with the disclaimer or whatever. It's like when they're when he's in the woods, like that pops up on on the screen. I wonder if Stone and Parker have ever used that for. Oh yeah, production companies Avenging Conscious. It is uh, what Matt Stone and Trey Parker used. Oh, that was also the name of the production company they used for the Spirit of Christmas short film. Oh, which, no shit. Which was the uh, short film that essentially turned into South Park. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, this film had an interesting history, you know? Oh, um, I, yeah, yes. We talked about it a little bit last episode, but um, I don't know. I mean, it was like a really... Uh, a real testament to, um, you know, kind of perseverance. Like if you have a project that you really believe in, man, just keep fucking going. They filmed the entire movie over one spring break. Um, cause everybody involved with students, absolutely everyone, they all met through college and for around, a, um, I'm seeing that the quoted, uh, budget for the film was around $125,000. Wow. Yeah, that's just one of those things where I, I, I hear that figure and I'm like, I could buy a few things with that, but like, yeah. the movie lingo, <laughs> that's nothing. Like, so yeah, um, for those of us who are listening to this and don't know anything about movie production, like, it, it, that's actually not a lot of money. <laughs> that's a very, very small amount of money. Yeah. Though I do wonder how them as college, like, and I tried looking into it, but I couldn't find it anywhere, how them as college students though still manage to get their hands on $125,000. That is interesting, right? I mean, is was there maybe grants? I don't know. I do know all the equipment was on loan from the school, so they were able to save money because but, by using the school's film equipment. That's so that's that's something I, I do want to ask about since you you might have it in front of you or, or you might know um is this the only student film that Troma has distributed? Oh, that's a damn good question. I am going to go out on a limb and say probably not. Yeah. Just due to the, the sheer <laughs> amount of movies that they've put out. 
Yeah. I'm. I just think one of the other ones has to also have been technically a student film, but I could not name you one. Yeah. Um, I can't name one, and and the fact that it's a student film, this this has to be one of the more successful student films ever made. I would in say general. So. Yeah. Though it's not on the strength of this movie that. Um, from when I was researching it, apparently Troma barely even distributed the film outside of Colorado until mm. South Park was released. That it was oh. uh, the movie only became popular after South Park came out, and that the only other piece of media Trey Parker and Matt Stone had to their name was the movie Campbell the Musical, and Troma had the distribution rights to it. And so it wasn't until South Park came out and was a hit that Troma actually gave it full national distribution now was that trauma's call or was that um was that a uh i mean was that like a video stores maybe just didn't weren't interested it, it was it was probably a little bit of both it was definitely part of trauma's call that they they viewed the movie as very much a having a local colorado niche because like yeah. as, as we talked about in the previous episode the original name of the movie was alfred packer the musical right. and um that things of like the courthouse that it takes place in being the original courthouse where Alfred Packer was tried. And apparently um, somebody from Colorado would have to vouch for this. According to Parker and Stone, the Alfred Packer story is kind of like a notorious story that everyone in Colorado knows about, but pretty much nobody outside of Colorado has. Unless you're really into cannibal lore. Which I am, so I have come across Alfred (laughs) Packer referenced in many other places. Yes. but uh, um, so it seems to be a little bit of both that Trema also at that time period when they were distributing it, this was also during kind of like their, what, what was the, this was the early 90s, as we talked about in Troma's war. This yeah. was kind of during a period of which uh, Troma was really, really struggling to financially keep going. That uh, yeah. uh, T- Troma's war had come out, which was a massive failure. Sergeant Kabuki Man, then when PD had come out, either it had just come out or was about to come out, and that also was kind of a massive financial failure for them. Yeah. So they didn't really have a lot of resources. And I'm sure this Campbell the Musical eventually being this big monetary gain for them was probably like, you know, a life preserver for the company. Yeah. Um, for, I mean, I imagine that they're still somewhat friendly, um, Trey and Lloyd. You know, um, because I saw on, on Lloyd Kaufman's uh, Twitter profile is actually a, a quote from Trey Parker that says, nobody knows how to make movies and make no money better than <laughs> Lloyd Kaufman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly certain. So I know they uh, cameo in uh, Terra Firmer, yeah. which, which was in the late 90s. And um, when now, amazingly, I don't think Lloyd Kaufman's ever been on South Park, which is kind of bizarre to me. Yeah. Um, but I do know that I eventually, I've seen Parker and Stone reference Troma in later stuff. And essentially though, all they ever really say about Troma is that Lloyd Kaufman took a chance on them when literally nobody else in the world would. The, and that's they, not hyperbolic from what I understand. Like that yeah. is literally nobody. Like um, I remember, yeah, Showtime specifically said it was unwatchable. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and then on the commentary, I think, like, uh, 
I think there were a lot of like I think uh, Trey and and Matt said that there were a lot of uh, studios that just didn't get it. Like they're like, is this like? And I, I'm gonna say this is a quote. This isn't me trying to be funny. Uh, they're like, is this a gay thing? Like what's going? Like are you all gay? Like <laughs> it's just. And keep in mind, everyone listening, this is the early '90s. Early '90s. So this this yeah. is actually something that a studio would legit be con- concerned about. As, as yeah. bizarre as that sounds today, 30 years later. Yeah. At that time period, they a studio would have concerns over distributing a <gasps> gay movie. Yeah, God forbid, you know. <laughs> so the only thing that would make this, I guess, gay is the fact that it's men singing and dancing throughout half the, half the runtime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, go figure. Um, yeah, and yeah, from what I understand, like, trauma was like, Oh yeah, and there's a there's a funny Sundance story too, isn't there? Like how they tried to get it into Sundance and then they they didn't, so then they just did their own film festival outside of Sundance. Yeah, yeah. I don't really know all the details about, but I know they did their own kind of screening of it. It's kind of a protest yeah. action to to Sundance not accepting their film. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty amazing. Um, and, and that was supposedly the first time that happened. I think that happens pretty frequently now. Well, then uh, Troma was the first then to organize uh, Tro- Troma was, Dance. Troma Dance, which was the first reoccurring counter programming to Sundance. Because right. you are correct, there was like one off screenings and one off festivals, but then Troma did theirs, and Troma just kept doing theirs every year. And so theirs was the first reoccurring one. And now there's several reoccurring ones. Like um, I know there's one like called No Dance Festival. Yeah. And there's also I think one called like Slam Dance. Um, Slam and there's Dunk. A, <laughs> yeah. There's a couple. Re- there's a couple reoccurring uh, counter programming to Sundance now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they started. Um, it, it's kind of bizarre to me that nobody wanted this movie. Though I think I it has has to just be. It was like. I guess way too ahead of its time because the Maybe. humor in it is kind of like really different from everything else that was around in the early 90s. Yeah, it's, like the 90s was mostly like screwball comedy, like Dumb and Dumber, you know, and slapstick and, yeah. and gross out, which ironically, this movie has very little gross out in it. It's really yeah. just like two scenes and um, and it's also not very slapsticky. It's very cute and wholesome in many ways yeah it's yeah a very it's very wholesome movie i i actually think the uh the times where it does get gross and slapsticky um are uh are stronger because it's not all the way throughout you know it's like you've kind of got this wholesome you know almost quaint kind of quality to it and then all of a sudden it's like you know you're getting tongues ripped out and shit <laughs> and the uh like my favorite part that i think sums up the bizarre wholesome humor of the movie and just makes me lose my shit every time i see the movie is there's a great musical number called let's build a snowman that features it's it's spectacular that features a great uh tap dancing number in the snow with the joke being that the snow is covering the guy's feet so while he's tap dancing the viewer can actually see his feet later in the movie where they're starving to death one of the characters is like like i've got a question what like when whatever the character's name was Swan. singing, I'm like how did he make that tapping sound with his feet? And this is like <laughs> a half an hour later in the movie, and yeah. that the fact that that was just like ling- the idea that the idea of that lingering in the back of the character's mind for so long that eventually he has to bring it up while they're yeah. starving to death to me is just 
Amazing. On this conceptual level, just absolutely hysterical. So that whole, uh, that character, the the guy who builds the snowman, uh, his name is Swan, and he is, like, one of the funniest characters in that movie. Um, like, I remember when, uh, when the, um, when the priest, or the preacher gets his leg caught in the bear trap, and, like, you know, it's really painful and ugly, uh, Swan goes, like, look at the bright side, at least you didn't get your head caught in there. Yeah. <laughs> And the the snowman song is just God. Oh Epic. man, I uh, I still laugh so hard when I see it. It's just amazing. <laughs> it, and I want to talk about the songs in this movie. That like I yeah. have this long-standing theory that uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone are incredible musicians, but they can only use their power to like mock and satirize. Because I've yeah. never heard them actually like. They, they're so good as make, at making music that they could probably have a pretty decent band, but if they're yeah. not, but if they're like not riffing on another musical genre or another musical artist, I'm not sure if they really know what to do with music. That's right. Right. In terms of this, like being a precursor to their work, like they love musicals. Like they, yes. did, uh, of course you mentioned uh, the book of Mormon, which was amazing Broadway musical. People frequently forget that the South Park movie is a musical yep. And there's many musical episodes of South Park, and all of this can directly be tra- traced right back to their first movie being uh, a full-on musical. Uh, there's even songs in Orgasmo, or, oh, or is no, it? Basketball, you know, there is, okay. I know. Yeah. I, know, I know Real Big Fish is in Basketball. <laughs> yeah, well, which one has the, uh, is it Orgasmo or Basketball, where it's like... Uh, where he's like singing about everything that's happened to him so far, and he's like, "Look out ahead, there's a truck changing lanes." Like, <laughs> oh shit, oh shit, oh my god, I can picture it perfectly in my head. And yeah, the radio's playing, and he starts like freaking out because the radio is directly talking to him. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's either basketball or orgasmo, but for the life of me, I'm not sure which either. one of the two it is. I think it's I think it's basketball because like it's after he like kind of screwed up his life or whatever, and like. You know, Robert Stack on Unsolved Mysteries is like, he's probably hanging by his neck in his fucking closet. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, they've, they've got a long-standing relationship with uh, musical theater, and I love it. It's, um, I don't know, it makes, it makes their stuff stand out even more, I think. Yeah, um, I watched this with my uh, uh, partner, um, well, she watched most of the movie with me. I know um, after that's all I'm asking for, she kind of like grumbled of like, oh, great. Now that's going to be stuck in my head for days. <laughs> and that is a really catchy song. And though uh, she bailed out during the um, uh, during the Trapper song. She was like, all right, I'm done with this. <laughs> but that one's pretty gnarly. <laughs> I think the Trapper song is the funniest. And it's just because it's pointed out in the audio commentary that the one the one trapper cannot sing and cannot hit his notes at all. Yeah. But it weirdly works in the movie because it comes across as if they're doing that on purpose and then that's yes. a joke. And it turns out no, in fact, that that actor could not hit his notes and they uh, were so worried that this guy was ruining the song. When well, instead, then the characters fight about it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they actually kind of made it part of this part of the movie. But yeah. it's so to me, it's so funny how off key he is with. With his uh, repraisal of uh, uh, Hayos. Yes, the um, 
Is it the guy with the with the skunk hat? Yes, yes. With the, the googly eyes on it. Yeah, and he's real tall. <laughs> yeah. And the really, really awful fake mustache. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. There's the songs are great. Like the um. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the uh, I like the trapper song. I, um, and I like I like the the opening song, the Spadoikel Day. You know, it's oh, Spadoikel Day is wonderful, and that is like very much like what Matt Stone and Trey Parker would kind of like the type of weird humor they would end up being yeah. known for. I, like, I, my heart's as full as a baked potato. That is yeah. such a fantastic line. Yes, yes. I um, I showed uh, I showed my partner this movie and Toxic Avenger like pretty early in our relationship, like just so she knew what she was getting into, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and you know, on that note, on that note, uh, I will say that out of all the stuff they've distributed not their not their lloyd kaufman productions but the stuff they distributed that i've seen it's the one that feels the most like a trauma film oh yeah yeah i i say very much so like there's a couple other ones that kind of like fit into like the trauma aesthetic but i'd say without a doubt this is the one that most feels like something that like kaufman like kaufman yeah like down to the down to the way it's shot you know, and and the gore when it does come is very like trauma esque, um, and yeah, like just those like, I don't know, like you have to. It, they, you know, I I'd say that Toxic Avenger has this too, um, you know, where it's like a lot of a lot of the jokes, like if you if you uh you know if if you're not paying attention, like sometimes you'll miss it, you know, and yeah. like. Yeah. And it's with the best Lloyd Kaufman stuff. This is both a combination of really highbrow humor and really lowbrow humor. Yes. And yes. it's really easy to like write this off as just like something really stupid. But I think if you're writing this off as stupid, you're literally not paying close enough attention to the movie because there's lots of super clever wordplay that's really easy to miss. There's like as we brought up like the whole uh, the like Japanese. Native American tribe that is yeah. just this very bizarre thing, yeah. which is never explained in any way, shape, or form. Right, right. Uh, like, it, 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 I think it has a lot of really, really clever approaches to its to its humor in the movie. Yeah, I agree. Like, it's, um, I don't know, like, it, it kind of uh, dances between um, really overstated and really understated, you know? Which is yeah, cool. um, and, and then also Lake Kaufman himself would later go on to make a musical because Poultry Geist is yes, a that's musical. True. That's true. <laughs> um, though honestly, this is I gotta be like this though in terms of the songs. This has yeah. this is like way better. The songs like I'm looking at the list of songs and every single one is so memorable and like like when i was on top of you the song about the horse so funny so funny which should we go into why this movie was made in the first place yeah sure sure this entire movie is trey parker basically throwing a on-screen temper tantrum about his fiance cheating on him which you know listen like it may sound cringy to an adult in 2021 but when I think about how I used to think in college, <laughs> like, yes, 
I like I totally like could see like anybody doing this. Like this just you get you're a little more petty like when you're that age, I think. And the fact that he actually like went through on it, like that he wrote an entire musical, which he then ended up turning into a full length movie, yeah. all motivated. So for but anyone that like, may have seen the uh, movie but ha- didn't listen to the audio commentary, which we have to get into that audio commentary at some yes. point. Here. Yes. Um, uh, he, Parker is very open in the audio commentary that uh, the entire movie, in addition to being a recreation of the Alfred Packer story, is also about his fiance leaving, um, discovering his fiance was cheating on him with another man, thus leading to the end of their relationship. Yeah. And that this movie's kind of him getting it out of his system, that the name of the horse in the movie is Leanne, Leanne which was the name of his fiance. Like, he didn't even change the name. So, and, like, <laughs> there's all these references, and the, the horse in the course of the movie ends up leaving him for the Packers, and so there's the all trappers. these lines. The, yeah. I'm sorry, the trappers. And so there's all these lines about like somebody else riding her, where there's yeah. very obvious, you know, like, double innuendo there, like double meaning there. I like the uh, come off it, Packer. Everybody in this town has ridden your horse. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, like wow, that's coming from like a really petty, mean place. Like, yeah. Yeah. Watching the movie with that knowledge in mind that he's like Leanne is a real person in Parker's life. It's like, wow, he uh, he was working some shit out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's funny, man. And uh, and then he has yeah the uh, the uh, the <laughs> yeah she ends up leaving him for the trapper and then like after the trapper gets killed you know beheaded by the uh the japanese native american the japanese (laughs) native american then kills the horse because you know packer says that he doesn't want her anymore (laughs) oh my god that's that's right oh my god that's one of those scenes that cracks me up so much where he's like you can have her and he starts unsheathing the sword and walks off screen and you hear like the horse yell off screen and it's like wait what just happened Um, I love the, uh, you know, I love the, uh, there's, there's two, uh, I guess Friday the 13th kind of, um, uh, riffs. Um, one is the doom guy, you know, I think it's almost word for word. What crazy Ralph says is in the original Friday the 13th. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's not completely word for word because he's talking about the Rocky mountains, but like, it's, it's pretty close. Um, the doom guy, I guess like the, the doom guy comes and tells them not to go in the Rocky mountains because of a death curse. Um, and then, um, and then the, uh, I wrote down, uh, false finishes because I'm a wrestling fan, but, uh, but what I'm, what I mean by that is the, uh, the, the killer gets killed multiple times and keeps jumping up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure, like, at least one of those shots with the killer keep getting up, particularly when he has, like, the hatchet in his face. Yeah. Um, I'm not the... I've seen all the Friday the 13th films, but I'm not the biggest fan, so I can't tell you which sure. movie specifically. But I'm pretty sure uh, in that sequence, as you said, like, the, the uh, warning speech was directly taken almost word for word yeah. from a Friday the 13th movie. I'm pretty sure some of those shots are actually directly... 
recreating something from one of the Friday the 13th movies, but yeah. I'm not certain about, I'd have to go through all the Friday <laughs> movies to be able to figure out which one they were specifically referencing. I love when he's like poking the, poking him with a stick after he like <laughs> dies. <laughs> like, yeah. And they're mentioning that like, there's things that are directly quoting Friday the 13th. There's things directly quoting Star Trek in here. And I think this is like one of the things that made me like really love Matt Stone and Trey Parker and still kind of stay obsessed with them that it's yeah. kind of hard to believe now but that whole like pop culture shout outs things as jokes wasn't commonplace before no. Stone and Parker and if it was it was something of like the most lowest common denominator thing of like referencing a like you know a Budweiser commercial or yeah. something like yeah. that it wasn't like shout outs to these at the time, obscure nerd properties that when you saw yeah. uh, Campbell the Musical, then when you saw like South Park and Orgasmo and Basketball, it's like the things they're referencing, they're not referencing cool things, they're referencing shit that the nerds are into, and yeah. it's like, oh, holy shit, like Stone and Parker, they're they're one of us, they're, they're one, one of us. They're, they're yeah, exactly, right. exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, outside of like direct-to-video often shot on video horror movies from the late eighties, early nineties. You didn't see a lot of that at all. And like, like later in South park, uh, in the early seasons, they frequently use the, uh, the, uh, the, um, old man, uh, warning speech from pet cemetery. Like a yeah. whole warning speech from a movie is, and yes, I know pet cemetery was originally a book, but they're referencing the movie in South park. Specific, yeah. Uh, yeah. That actor has like a yeah. very distinct, voice like you don't want to go down that run you know <laughs> like and, and that's something that keeps coming up like they're referencing the shit that they love and yeah. literally nobody else was doing anything like that i guess actually you know i take that back i guess the closest there was somebody doing that would have been like kevin smith yeah so you would have had like yeah. kevin smith and matt stone and trey parker now they were all referencing different things tarantino as well i would put him in that category i Tarantino does something I feel a little bit different over... Um, I see why you say that. I yeah. very much see why you say that. But his is kind of, I feel, a little bit different because of... If you're not aware of what he's referencing, nothing is lost. That That's true. He very much is... Um, Tarantino, in many ways, in my viewpoint, and I love Tarantino, yeah. is kind of like a mashup artist where he yeah. takes direct um, elements from other works of media and then remixes them into his own creation. That's true. Whereas this is, if you don't really get what they're referencing, it, it can come across as odd or yeah. it's like, what are they doing there? Or like, Oh, that was an odd stylistic choice. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, that's because you didn't get, you, you don't, you're not speaking in the secret language that we are. Oh God. And it's weird to refer to it as a secret language because you're right. Like nowadays, like pop culture references is just, no, that's everything. That's everything. Like anything made after scream, I but, guess like guardians of the galaxy has a Lloyd Kaufman cameo in it. Yeah. Like trauma get, uh, gets a shout out in the MCU now. Like and, it's and, bizarre. And we'll talk about why in the Tromeo and Juliet episode. <laughs> yes. That'll eventually come up. But yeah. Like, but like that is that is the mainstream of the mainstream now is doing shout outs to nerd culture. But yeah. that was very, very far from the case in the early mid nineties. Yeah. 
Definitely. And and that was I think that was one of the things about this film that really resonated with me and and Kevin Smith's stuff, you know, to to a, maybe a lesser degree. It was um yeah, just like feeling like uh oh cool, like somebody who is into all the shit that I'm into like is doing cool shit too, you know. I I don't know. It was cool to see. Um so you wanted to talk about the commentary track. Oh yes. Oh yes. Okay, we have to bring up the commentary track, aka the best audio com the best director's commentary ever recorded for I agree. a DVD period. And if you look up online, if you do a Google search for best commentary tracks, almost every list you will find will include the Campbell the Musical uh, track. And yeah. why does that constantly <laughs> reference? Because they get shit faced fucking blackout drunk while yeah. recording it. And you can tell it's not an act. It's, it, it's, it's not one done. take. It's Trey Parker, and it features um, three of the other actors in the movie. It's, yep. it's, a, it's one take, and they are getting blackout drunk yeah. during yeah. it. And they are telling, it's like Parker getting sad talking about his fiance. Like, yes. He gets drunk sad in the commentary, yeah. and people consoling him. And like, it, it, and he, it, they they encourage the viewer to to get fucked up along with them as well. Yeah, but I don't think I could like because they were they're making note when they're taking shots and like yeah. Luke, Lucas and I have drank together a lot. A lot. But I'm not. I'm, I'm not really a liquor guy. I, I'm a beer guy. I could yeah. not keep up with them with the shots if I had tried. Like. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That. <laughs> and it's, it's it's one of the commentaries that I feel like makes the movie legit funnier because yeah. there's all these little there's all these little actions that the actors are doing in the movie that are actually referencing things that are happening off screen and there's no way for the viewer to know it and in fact you wouldn't even register some of the odd choices the actors are making until you watch the commentary such as apparently the the person who held the boom mic was a very well endowed woman that Matt Stone kept making jokes about behind the scenes of, oh, like, geez. they were friends, they were just kind of, like... Yeah, it wasn't, like, harassment, yeah. it was, like... Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, we're not talking about a case of sexual harassment, but there's various scenes where the Matt Stone character is pointing, and what he's doing is he's actually pointing directly at the, the boom woman's tits who are right off screen, and so that's, like, a little thing he's doing trying to make everyone around the production laugh and break character. So two things that I that I remember from the commentary specifically is they pointed out a a really funny uh, blooper. Um, so in the scene where uh, remind me the actor's name, the squeak character. Oh, oh, oh the, the actor. Well, the character's name is or, George yeah. Noon. The George actor's uh, the actor's name. Wow, I'm not even quite sure how to pronounce his name. D i a n is his first name. Diane. Oh, weird. Okay. Diane uh, Backer. Okay. Um, so when I'm sorry if he happens to hear this and I am butchering his name. I'm yeah. very sorry. I'm terrible at pronunciation. That's on me. So when he's um, hitting on the Native American um, woman, uh, he actually reaches into his pockets and jingles his car keys. Oh my God! Yes, and you can <laughs> you can hear it in the you movie. Can hear him. Yeah. And, you're right. I never noticed that until it was pointed out in the commentary, and it is a blooper, and it's an error, and it's quite distinct that he's hitting a yep, yep, and then he shakes his keys in his pocket, and he walks walks off camera. And yeah. 
It is like once once you hear that, you cannot unhear it, and it's right. so funny. It's and yeah, and in case anybody's wondering, the movie's set in the mid eighteen hundreds, so like there were no there's cars. No um, there's no or car keys. keys and yeah, no car keys. There's keys, but there's not car keys you keep in your pocket that you can jingle like that. Right, right. It's a very distinct noise. Um, the other one is the uh, apparently, and this might have just been them like riffing, you know. So I don't know. Um, how true it is, but apparently in the scene where the, uh, the sheriff, um, asks, uh, Trey Parker's character, Alfred Packer, to, um, meet him, uh, in his office at sunrise, and then he says, you know what they say about sunrise, and then he just, like, stares for a while. Apparently there was more dialogue that was supposed to happen, but that guy was, like, really shit-faced drunk and couldn't remember his lines, so they just... They just kind of see what happens at sunrise. Yeah, and then he just turns and walks off. <laughs> Which in the movie, it's it's very it actually, funny because it's like, wow, what what just happened there? It like, just works, you know. It works. Uh, so I mean, I'm kind of glad. But keep in mind, these are all a bunch of early twenty-something guys on spring break, you know, m- m- making this movie. Like, I I 100% buy that the actor was shit face drunk for the oh, film. Yeah, that probably scene. forgot he had to and, be on set. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I completely um, believe it. One of uh, my favorite scenes uh, is when um, he goes to uh, he he tells um, Polly Pride that he he went to Wyoming, and and she's like <laughs> she's like oh what's so bad about Wyoming? And then like it cuts to him just wandering around in like the desert, going uh hello, and, she, and then, she, then it cuts back to her, and she's like oh how horrible. And for the record, that uh, Polly Pry, just as like Alfred Packer, real person. Really? That whole story about her interviewing Packer, getting his side of the story, and how she contacted the governor to get the state of execution, that all happened in real life. It's amazing. That's what I said. Like, this movie is weirdly historically accurate, despite all the song and dance numbers. That's fun. I love that. Um, but yes, the, the commentary is like there there's also like the commentary points out that during the last musical number um uh with hang the bastard hang them high which yeah. is such a glorious song <laughs> it opens with the uh prosecutor singing to a woman which the woman is in fact matt stone in drag and oh, wow. the and the only reason that happens is uh matt stone was very insistent that he wanted to appear in the movie at some point in drag so he got to right. appear in the movie in drag but like once again, you would never, you would never ever notice that without the uh, without the commentary. That there's so many little details they point out that makes so many scenes funnier. And yeah. then, and then the fact that they are just absolutely losing their shit, getting drunk, which then the commentary ends before the movie ends because they get fed up, they're shit faced drunk, and they leave the commentary to go to a strip club. <laughs> And at first it seems like it's a gag, but then the last 10 minutes of the movie play out, play like, out no, with no, no, no commentary, commentary and they never come back. And oh, God, I forgot about them, that. It just ends with them leaving, going to the strip club, and the movie's not over yet. That's great. I love that. It, it, is, it is absolutely glorious. If you are a fan of Matt Stone and Trey Parker and you have not heard this, you can buy DVDs of this use, like, super cheap. I just yeah. grabbed a... Uh, a copy not that long ago for like five dollars 
it is completely worth every penny. Even if you've seen the movie, it's worth every penny to grab it just yeah. so you can hear that amazing commentary. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it kind of makes me sad that I like sold all my DVDs a few years ago, um, because I, I used to be one of my uh, it was on regular rotation that that movie, um, because it is just really uh, yeah, it's just fun. It's special to me. Um, it's you know. One, because it's like, you know, the first piece of art by these two guys who have become these colossal forces in pop culture. Um, and then, yeah, also it's just, uh, yeah, it's probably one of the one of my favorite trauma movies, even, you know. If I was you know, to create a top five trauma movie list, easily Campbell and Musical would be in my top yeah. five. And in terms of stuff that they distributed... It is one of my two very favorite works they distributed. And the other one, for you know anyone curious, is Father's Day. Which, have you seen Father's Day yet? So, I have not seen Father's Day yet. Are you going to do an episode on Father's Day at some point here? Because you've got to see it. Right, cool. and, I'm excited. Father's Day and Campbell the Musical are my two very favorite uh, things they distributed. And Father's Day is the only other movie other than Campbell Musical that they distributed that I'd say feels like a Lloyd Kaufman production. Mm. Interesting. That it feels like something he, if, if you didn't tell me who made it and you showed me the movie and you asked me like both these movies, both Campbell musical and father's day, if you didn't tell me who made them and then asked me afterwards to guess, my guess would be like, was this Lloyd Kaufman? Or that'd be my guess for both of them. Yeah. So I do, um, this is slightly off topic, but I do want to point this out because this is a, I guess, kind of a mistake that I made last episode. Um, I mentioned that Troma's War was uh, was directed by um, Lloyd Kaufman, but under the name Samuel Wheel. Uh, and I thought this was not something that happened normally, but apparently uh, everything he directed up to and including Troma's War was actually under that pseudonym. Even Toxic Avenger? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. I, yeah. didn't, I did not realize uh, that. See, it, I, are, I believe it was... To, to all the listeners, we are learning just as you are learning. And yes, yes. When we, we do something incorrect, we'll do our damnedest to correct it in a future episode. Yes. I was not aware of this. Yeah, apparently uh, Toxie 2 was the, first, uh, was the first movie to bear Lloyd Kaufman's actual name as director. Oh, dear. I'm not sure if I'd want my name on that movie. <laughs> Have you seen it yet? It's been a long time. It's not good. It's not good. I'm, it's, uh, I, yeah. I already put it out there uh, on, like, social media over, like, well, what movies do you want us to cover? And everyone's saying, of course, Toxic Avenger. But if we're going to cover Toxic Avenger, we've also got to cover its sequels. And yeah. Citizen Toxie is fucking awesome. Yeah. But then there's those two in between that I am dreading. There are a couple really good gags in both of them that I remember, but, like, those two gags are the only thing, or those few gags are the only things about those two movies that I remember. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and we can get into that when we, if and when we cover those. <laughs> but, yeah, I think uh, Toxic Avenger 2, or, or 4, Citizen Toxie, they definitely you know, found their, uh, that's the real seats again. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. You have any other thoughts on this, uh, cannibal, the musical movie? Well, I got some other trivia. That's also, uh, fun that, cool. so, uh, Trey Parker stars in the movie as Alfred Packer, but Trey Parker is not credited at any point in the movie. It's credited to Juan Schwartz. And 
the reason for that is that is actually a pseudonym that Alfred Packer himself used. Oh, that's interesting. So if I remember correctly, it was uh, he cast himself under the name Ron Schwartz, but but he still directed under Trey Parker. Um, let me see. I have it right here in front of me. Um, yes, he he credits himself as right, written and directed by Trey Parker, but it says starring Juan Schwartz. He does not yeah. credit himself as an actor. And so that that uh, confused me the first like the first few times I saw it because I was like, oh. I know that's Trey Parker. Why does it say Juan Schwartz? I was so uh, I the first couple of times I watched the movie, I was so confused, and I had the exact same thing of like, I think that's Trey Parker. And this was watching this movie. This was kind of like I did not have internet access at this time. Yeah, yeah. not in nineties. I was in the middle of fucking nowhere, middle of the woods, Pennsylvania. And so I did not have internet at the time, so it wasn't like I could just easily look it up. But I was like the same way as you of like, I think that's Trey Parker, but it says Juan Schwartz. Who like who is that person? And <laughs> it it took an unreasonable amount of time before I figured out that it was a kind of like a, a joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then I found out the reasoning for the joke, and the reasoning being that Juan Schwartz was a alias pseudonym that alfred packer himself used do you know like, uh they were really into like working in as many little references to alfred packer's real life as they could like the courthouse scene um and like the speech in the beginning at the courthouse is word for word the speech the prosecutor actually gave in the real life prosecution of alfred yeah packer. and i think and this is you know that i haven't listen to the commentary in a long time but wasn't the uh the judge's um sentencing also word for word yes yes hung judges from the neck said, until you are dead, dead 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 which in uh true crime american penal system stuff that speech is very famous and like known even from beyond the alfred packer case itself that yeah if you're into like nerdy stuff with true crime and law which i am um, you will come across that speech that the judge gave. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it's a fun movie. I, I really, I really think it's you know it's it's worth everybody's time. Uh, if you're if if for whatever reason you haven't seen it, um, definitely track it down and then watch it again with the commentary. Yeah, um, this is like unlike most trauma movies or, or like you know things from trauma. This is a movie that I'd honestly recommend to pretty much anybody. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it doesn't yeah. do it doesn't it has its like moments of violence and grossness, but they're just kind of brief moments. So it's easy for somebody who may not be into that stuff to like you know look past it. That it's if they can you know they can just hide their eyes for about thirty seconds and then right. you're fine. Um, but like the whole the wholesomeness of this movie with yeah. it's still its like weird subversive humor. Is like a combination that a lot of trauma has, but then you know they have all the boobs and the yeah. blood and the pus on top of it, which kind of like alienates a large amount of viewers. <laughs> this movie doesn't have that, but it has that pure great trauma comedy feel that like I feel like I could comfortably recommend this movie to pretty much anybody. Yeah, and it's um, I don't know, it's just very um. It's cool because, like, I feel like with, um, I don't know, if, you, if you're if you a fan of Book of Mormon, like, you will see that, like, with Book of Mormon, they actually came full circle. Like, I mean, I think, like, that 
Like they, there's, there's some weird parallels, you know, like, uh, at least in terms of tone between this and book of Mormon, you know, very, very much so. Um, and I have a sneaking suspicion but I'm not sure if you recall, but right before this whole pandemic bullshit happened <laughs> and everything shut down across the world, um, there was like one or two months before it was announced that Trey Parker and Matt Stone were doing secret casting in Hollywood for a undisclosed new movie they were going to be making. Oh, wow. And um, I have uh, a little bit. I have some occasional Hollywood connections, and one of which who I will not name informed me about a couple years ago that Trey Parker and Matt Stone had a plan that they were going to um, make a Book of Mormon movie, and wow. that it was they were just waiting for its kind of live show run to kind of die down because they didn't want to interfere with the revenue from the live right. show. Which of course, makes total sense, and. I have my strong suspicions that that secret movie they were casting that obviously all went to shit because of the global pandemic that, as we're recording this, we're still in the middle of it happening, yeah. um, and everything's still shitty, <laughs> and um, I have strong suspicions that they were casting the Book of Mormon movie, because, cool. like, it, I can totally see how Book of Mormon would work as a movie, and quite frankly, it would look very similar to Campbell the Musical. Yeah, definitely. That whole wholesome, wholesome humor, then spiked with moments of like you know like darkness and real Your world. Reference. Like like the uh, general butt naked in Book of Mormon is a real yeah. life person. Yes, yes. And some of the upsetting things that are done in the Book of Mormon uh, is were done in real life. So I don't know when I'm else going to get to talk about Matt Stone and Trey Parker publicly. So I have a funny uh, Book of Mormon story. Oh yeah, I saw it. I saw it here in uh, Portland, Oregon. That it did a uh, they did there was a touring company of it that came through Portland, and I was fortunate enough that I did not have to pay for a ticket. I managed to get a um, a ticket that a friend of a friend had bought several uh, tickets, and somebody couldn't make it, and a ticket was offered to me, so I got to go see it for free, which was great because otherwise I probably not w- would have been able to see it. Yeah. And saw it at the uh, this great uh, you know theater hall in downtown Portland. And during the intermission, it was very funny because the audience was all split 50-50 between essentially like mid-30s guys in black t-shirts and jeans. And, you know, old, all dressed up white-haired people who, you know, going out to the theater. And yes. they have their season tickets. And during intermission, going out into the lobby to get uh, to get some more beer, which you can buy beer at this pl- at this theater, which you can in every business in Portland. One of the reasons Portland, Oregon, is wonderful. Nice. Um, going out there, seeing the look of shock on some of these old people's faces. Oh they, man! Because they didn't know who Matt Stone and Trey Parker are. They don't know what South Park is. They just got their season tickets to what you know what uh, the Portland theater was doing that season. And Book of Mormon just happened to be one of them. Wow. And every, oh, everyone is talking about Book of Mormon. And, like, this this must be something to go see. People did not know what they were getting themselves in store for. And whereas Campbell the Musical is very wholesome, Book of Mormon goes some really pitch black places. Yeah. And some of the songs are 
fucking dark and yeah. awful in terms of what they are talking about. <laughs> and this took the regular theater-going audience very off guard. Very off yeah. guard. I also saw people walking out of the musical while it's happening during some of its more offensive moments. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't have a, have an experience like that. It was like in a, it wasn't a place that, it, you know, uh, you know, I live in Austin um, and the theater I went to see it at, it definitely seemed like way too, I don't know. It seemed like a regular theater, I guess. Um, so it was interesting seeing something done by those guys uh, <laughs> in such a setting. But uh, I wasn't really watching the audience, man. I was just like super engrossed in what was going on. <laughs> Oh man, I I can't help but take notice of like the audience with them at things because I was also like yeah. gauging like oh how's everyone else reacting to this yeah and, like like I most of the people I'd say that I was there with especially the young people in you know uh, black t-shirts and jeans all were lo- <laughs> all were loving it we're all having just like a grand grand time but That's there was awesome. definitely some of the older more conservative theater going audience that did not know what they were walking into no. <laughs> that's funny it's like it's like god don't you guys have the fucking internet or something no no <laughs> and see then i was so disappointed so i saw book of mormon and i thought that was like just brilliant that i i wouldn't say i'm a fan of musicals but it's not that i actively dislike them it's just that all musicals seem to be stuck in like this 1940s 1950s yeah. way of presentation and Book of Mormon, especially for a live musical, was the first I saw that was like, holy shit, this is like modern day. This is meant for yeah. modern audiences. This It takes a framework of a musical, but it is not meant to be a throwback. This is meant to be something current, to speak to current day issues, to speak to people right now and address issues right now using this medium and using it in a way that nobody has ever used the musical, the live theater musical medium it, to my knowledge, like before or sits, yeah, um, no, it's especially like cool. not on the Broadway level. Like, sure, there's things that happen on like you know off Broadway or independent, and you know like like, but this was major Broadway production and completely subverting the entire idea of a Broadway mm-hmm. musical, which made me then so disappointed when Hamilton blew up because like like Book of Mormon was kind of like the first musical i can really think of in my lifetime that it became an absolute cultural force that yeah everybody no matter who you asked knew what book of mormon was like i cannot think of any other musical like that of the modern mm. era and then hamilton happened and hamilton became this big cultural phenomenon as well you know the biggest ones biggest musical since book of mormon yeah and i was so disappointed then when I saw, uh, like, Disney, um, what's it called, Disney Plus, or whatever the, is that the name of the streaming uh-huh. service? Yeah. Yeah, they did the um, uh, the, the production of uh, Hamilton, and I was so disappointed when I watched it, because I was like, okay, well, now I can finally see what this is, and it just turned out to be another fucking 1940s, 50s musical. <laughs> it just went right back. Like, yeah. I, I was like, oh, maybe this is going to be as groundbreaking and as, pushing the medium forward like Book of Mormon was. No, no, it's just a straight-up goddamn throwback. I hated Hamilton. Fuck that. <laughs> fuck that musical. Book of Mormon all the way. Matt Stone and Trey Parker all the fucking way. <laughs> I do love Trey and Matt. I, uh, I probably, um, 
One of my last, like, really favorite South Park episodes was the uh, the Game of Thrones uh, three-parter that they did. I thought that was great. Um, well, I mean, I've been really... Have you seen their uh, pandemic specials yet? I haven't. They're, I, need, I need a night where I could watch them. It's hard to watch that stuff with kids around. <laughs> yes, yes. I do not recommend having kids around for it. I do not recommend yeah. it. But they, they did, um, since uh, the... The COVID pandemic has shut down everything. South Park Studios, where they make all their works, have also been shut down, and they've been working remotely. And instead of doing a season this year, uh, they're making what they're calling specials. They're one-off, hour-long specials. And so far, they've made two of them. They made mm. one, the pandemic special, and then they did a QAnon vaccination episode. Oh, wow. And... Um, oh, well, the QAnon vaccination special at the Thomas Recording is their most recent one. To be honest, I didn't really care for that one that much. They had some good ideas going in there, but I just didn't felt like it really gelled together. Yeah. Their pandemic special, though, I fucking loved. Like, I will be honest here. Like, I'm an extremely extroverted social person, so having, like, absolutely everything I love taken away from me, yeah. like, the ability to, like, hang out with friends, the ability to go to live events, the ability to organize live events, which is something I've done a lot of, uh, has not been really fun for me. It's been kind of hard at times. Yeah. It's not been good for my brain. And the first South Park pandemic special is essentially all about Kyle going through that. They yeah. really spoke a lot to me. I'll be honest. Like, they really no, hit I... me in my feels. I was like, oh, they're feeling how I am feeling right now. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Because, like, even though I'm I'm, I'm pretty introverted, I, I don't like having the choice taken away from me. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I well, want to be able to go out, you know, when I want to, you know. <laughs> we work in the arts and entertainment, and everyone always thinks that people in the arts and entertainment are all, like, extroverts. But in reality, almost all of them are introverts. I'm one of the yeah. weird outliners that's actually an extrovert in this, like, yeah, scene you and, in, in uh, mediums. You and uh, John Baltusberger, I think, are, like, probably the most, you know, extroverted. But, I mean... You know, I mean, when it comes to, uh, you know, um, I mean, conventions and stuff, you know, yeah, I can work my way up to those. And then, like, when I'm there, when I'm there, I can be, like, outgoing and stuff. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I, I get, like, what I call um, uh, post-party depression. Over, yeah. Like, after a convention, I, I feel depressed frequently just because I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be able to see my friends for another couple months. And it's like yeah, for those real. three days of just nonstop social interaction. I thrive off of that shit. You've seen me. You've seen Dude, you see you, I am you there. lose your voice after, uh, like, uh, after every convention. <laughs> hey, I stopped. Uh, that actually stopped happening. Okay. And for anyone listening, like there has been a running joke amongst everyone that knows me at conventions that by the last day of the convention, I'm like, I can only talk like this in a hoarse whisper. Like, just oh. blow out my voice because I have, I smoke too much, I drink too much, I stay up too late, I'm yelling and talking to everyone. I have too much fun. It's just a sign yeah. I have too much fun. fun and uh, uh, Jack Ketchum, you know, God rest his soul, he oh. always used to make fun of me at the last day of the conventions and my voice was blown. he always go out of his way to come up to me and be like, he would just ask me a question. I'm like, hey, Jeff, uh, do you know where, uh, like, uh, that table is? Or I'd be like, oh, yeah. He's like, what? What's that, Jeff? I can't hear you. I can't hear you, Jeff. And be like, fuck you. Oh, that's, great. <laughs> that's awesome. But, All right. Um, 
Yeah, let's get back to uh, anything else to say about uh, Campbell the Musical or Matt Stone and Trey Parker in general, because this is probably our chance to talk about them. Yeah, um, gosh, I, you know, I don't know if I if I have anything else. Like, I, I just would say, like, you know, definitely give this movie a chance, um, especially if you're a fan of theirs, but for whatever reason, just... I mean, I think now... It's, you know, with, with how the internet has blown up, like, I think people, more people know about this movie. I feel like before, though, like, I was constantly showing it to South Park fans, like, who just didn't know. Um, yeah, that was my relation a lot with this movie, was constantly, like, introducing this movie to people that being like, oh, you're a South Park fan. Oh, you like Team America. You liked yeah. um, Basketball. You liked Orgasmo. Have you seen Campbell the Musical? No. What's that? It's, like, it's their first movie. Like, yeah. A lot of people I've shown it to literally have never heard of it. I do not know if that's true these days. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, but it is—it's a fun. Uh, I don't know. I would—I would describe it as their um, their origin story. You know, um, yeah. it, you really get to see like how these guys cut their teeth, and I think it's—it's it's really cool to see the seeds of like what they'd become known for, like in this very, this very small student film this is kind of like 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 uh if you're a super fan of a band it's always fun finding like their early demos this yes. is kind of like the early demo of matt stone and trey parker like this is the equivalency of them in the garage with like recording things on the onto onto tape which this was actually literally probably recorded onto tape <laughs> i think it's shot on video yeah i think yeah. it has so that look is, so this is their demo this is their demo reel when they were yeah. You know, young and dumb, and it's it. glorious. It's glorious. You can see their entire career outlined in this first early movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's uh, I don't know, like I, it's it's a type of filmmaking that, and and we're gonna talk about this a lot throughout this podcast, I think, because like you know, like trauma is like famous for this, but I think like that spirit of just like getting out there with the camera and some of your friends. And just seeing what happens, I like I don't see that as much anymore. You know, it seems like even the independent movies are like they have like money behind them. And well, as we talked about before, I think you see yeah. that on YouTube now. That, yeah, like movies have become like cost prohibited to a lot of people to get into them. And even if you can make the movie, gain the distribution, all yeah. those things are such difficult issues that in the eighties, like when in the eighties and nineties. You know, we had the concept of video stores, and as strange as it may sound to people, the video stores were actually desperate for content. Yeah. That's something where it allowed uh, Trauma to survive was that they were able to provide content to video stores, and video stores would just take anything yeah. if they just thought, like, if I had a decent title and was 90 minutes long, the, vi- uh, the video store would take it just because they needed something to put on the shelves, and Trauma thrived in that and that's also why they distributed so many movies and in the case of this movie like you could localize that interest right like be like oh i'm gonna send this to all the colorado which is uh, what trauma did yeah you know and that's yeah and they they apparently only did screenings of the movie in colorado it wasn't until south park became a hit that then it got distributed outside of colorado which Mm -hmm. to tie back to the beginning when we're saying that like Troma was the only ones to take a chance on Matt Stone and Trey Parker. Like, really keep in mind that this was 
it wasn't even just before South Park got big. This was before South Park even existed as a TV show. That these yeah. these were just two student these were just two college students. No one knows who the fuck they are, and they're just sending out this cassette and Trauma got Lloyd Kaufman got a screening copy and uh Lloyd Kaufman recounts a story that um he would like dedicate a day like once a month or every couple weeks, something like that, they just sit in his office and just watch all the VHS tapes sent to him from, from people all over the world and figure out what he wants to pick. And he would spend a day and that he was rejecting every single movie that he was watching. And then he put in what was then called Alfred Packer the musical. And it blew him away. I'm honestly surprised he even watched it with that title. Unless he knew, unless he, like you, he's uh, he's an aficionado of uh, cannibal lore. <laughs> Gee, that would not surprise me. That would yeah. not surprise me at all if he knew who Alfred Packer was. And though they, Choma did make them change the title, I I completely agree with them making change the title. But I could also see that being the way they got their foot in the door, being like, I know Alfred Packer. I know that story. Yeah. Like, like, so, okay, I'll, I'll see what this is. Speaking of, do you know what happened to the real life Alfred Packer? Um, if I recall correctly, and I'm just going to pull this up to make sure I have it right, is that Alfred Packer lived the rest of his days uh, as a free man and, uh, uh, you know, yeah, wow. Um, no, he eventually ended up serving 40 years in prison for uh, for his crimes. Oh, okay. He ended up being uh, tried again. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. Didn't get... Uh, died, didn't at, get... He died at the age of 65 from a stroke. Okay. Yeah, I mean, all that long pig, it's, it's not good for your blood pressure. <laughs> so, so the, uh, the movie outlines all of the broad details of what happened. So do you think it will happen in real life? Do you think Packer committed crimes or not? I mean, it's hard for me to answer that, honestly, because, like, even though, like, as historically accurate as this film was, they still um, gave us a very sympathetic character in Alfred Packer. And so... Through that lens, like, I guess I'm kind of feeling the way the Polly Pride character might have felt, where I'm just like, of course this guy didn't do it. I think he did it. Yeah. I mean, I think, sh- I think he, I think he, I think he, I think he uh, was at the very least responsible for everyone's deaths and that he ate the bodies. I yeah. think he did it. Yeah. You don't think he was just an incompetent guide? <laughs> um, I mean, I think he was an incompetent guide. I think all these things are true at the same time. Yeah, do you think, like, I wonder if maybe he killed the people because he didn't... He, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they, like... Yeah, maybe he didn't want it to get out how bad he was at... <laughs> I, 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 my, my guess is something along the lines of, like, not like the raging homicidal maniac cannibal, but, like, sure. people kept dying under his watch, and, well, we're out of food, and we have a fresh corpse... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't doubt I, that at all. Like, I think that's probably, like, close to the truth of what, what happened. Yeah. What yeah. happened here. Yeah, you don't think the uh, the priest went mad and started shooting everybody? No, no. I think that's <laughs> awfully, it's awfully convenient, isn't it? Awfully yes, yes. convenient. Yeah, I guess that was, uh, I guess uh, Crazy Holy Men was even a uh, 
even a even a cliche back then in the 1800s when you're trying to uh, clear your name for cannibalism. So shall I pull out the um, all I need to know about filmmaking I learned from the Toxic Avenger by yeah. Lloyd Kaufman and James so, Gunn? I was going to ask if there was what what a uh, Lloyd what Uncle Lloyd had to say about this movie. All right, from from the book about Campbell the Musical. What do you get when you cross six miners lost in the wilds of Colorado, five half-eaten corpses, one survivor, and seven great songs? Cannibal the Musical. Yep, it's Oklahoma meets Friday the 13th, and a film written, directed by, and starring Trey Parker, the Andrew Lloyd Webber of horror. This critically acclaimed, honestly, masterpiece has all the singing, dancing, and decapitations you've come to expect from Trauma. Unfortunately, there are no boobies. Fun fact. Jay Parker and Campbell co-star Matt Stone are the creators of Comedy Central's South Park and the underground animation classic The Spirit of Christmas. Pig fucker. <laughs> and so that's the that's the write-up in the book on about Campbell the musical. Oh, that's great. That's uh that's funny. I mean to think how far we've come because that that book was written in 1998, right? And so it's like 98. It's like he had to like say like you know, like they're the creators of of South Park, and it's like now that's just common knowledge, right? You know, you yes. say Trey Parker, Matt Stone, it's like, oh yeah, South everybody Park. Everybody knows who you're talking about. Yeah, that's funny. It's interesting that he said he was the uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber of horror, because to my knowledge, um, aside from maybe some one-off South Park episodes, like I, I don't think Trey has done anything horror-related. Oh, oh no, no. It's, I mean, and uh, yeah. Campbell the Musical is not a horror movie. Like, yes, it'll appeal to horror fans. Yeah. But to call it in any way, even a horror comedy is a bit of a stretch. Stre- yeah, stretching the definitions of horror. Yeah. And it's obvious they love horror because they reference it, the horror genre so often throughout mm-hmm. their work. It's obvious oh, yeah. that, they, that they're big horror fans, but they don't make horror media at all. No, no. No, I get though trauma trying to sell it that way because most of their audience is horror fans and they're trying to sell their fans a musical, which yeah. I'm sure the trauma was even probably like, how how do we sell this movie to people? <laughs> That's great. Um, well, I mean, you hear a title like Cannibal the Musical though, and you, you you're gonna at least be curious. It, it, it is a brilliant title. Like it yeah. is one of the best titles in Trauma's library, in my I think my so. opinion. Yeah. Like yeah. somebody submitted something. If somebody would submit something to me called like ignore, like says pretend this movie never existed, but called it Cannibal the Musical, even if it was a book, I'd be like, all right, I'm intrigued. I, I, <laughs> you have my I, attention. <laughs> you have, yeah, you have my attention. I'm interested in hearing more. Yep, that's great. Um. So what uh what are we thinking for for our next uh for our next episode. Well, I feel like uh, Campbell the Musical was kind of my pick, so I think it's back to you. All right. I know you had some things cons- that you've been considering. Yeah, so, um, you know, I've never actually seen um, a Killer Condom. Oh, you want to do another distributed movie? Y- yeah, either, it, I, I'm thinking either either that or should or, we do another Kaufman movie? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, do we want to do? Uh, I feel like we should save Toxic Avenger. Like, I feel like we should save Toxic. Yeah, I, that, we should, that's 
That's we should good save one. Toxie, and I feel like we should do something like special when we do Toxie of something like we should do like all of the Toxie stuff like in a row. Yeah, I agree. Like like a month of Toxic Avengers. Exactly. There's four movies we can do like for a month. All four. Yeah. Toxie month. Yeah. Um, but, but for everyone listening, it's like when they talk about Toxic Avenger, it's going to happen. But people don't talk about Toxic Avenger. People don't talk about these other movies. So yeah. it's much more fun to talk about these other movies that don't get nearly the amount of attention they deserve. Exactly. All right. Let me uh, bring up that list of yours because mine was a little limited. Um, okay. So I would say... Do you want to do uh do you want to do Tales from the Crapper? Okay, I want to hold off on that one because okay. specifically I need the DVD for that which I ordered and I'm still waiting for and there's reasons behind that which will be revealed in the Tales from the Crapper episode. Okay. And if you don't own a DVD of it, I am going to buy you one and send you it. Yeah, and I don't I don't have any of my physical media anymore. So. Okay, well I'll be buying you a copy of that and sending it to you so off. Oh, well, thank off. you. Off uh, recording here, I'm going to need to get your mailing address. But yeah. there's very specific reasons why we need the DVD. Just like uh, the Campbell the Musical has great audio commentary, there's a whole story behind Tales from the Crapper that has a documentary uh, with it. That's okay. behind the scenes. It's like more interesting than the actual movie itself. Gotcha. All right, let's do uh, let's do uh, Tromeo and Juliet, man. That one... <laughs> Yeah. You're going to do Tromeo and Juliet? Yeah, I mean, that's I, probably my favorite anyway, so yeah. That's, that's a lot of people's favorites, and I know that that was, um, I, I post on the, so, the social medias over, like, what what stuff do you want to see us do, and outside of Toxic Avenger, Tromeo and Juliet seems to be a uh, big fan favorite that people want to hear about. All right, cool. So yeah, right. next next week, Tromeo and Juliet. Well, one of the big boys of Troma. This is yes. This is a major title. Hell yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.